The scripture this morning is John 10, 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mary Thomas. What we've been up to uh, as we are approaching Lent for this particular season, we have been looking at what the Bible says about itself, what the Bible says about the Bible. And uh, we saw a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, that Scripture is uh, God's self-disclosure. It is God using words to reveal to us who He is and what He's like. Uh, we saw last week that Scripture is His testimony. It's, uh, that it's testimony, it's, it's uh, eyewitness, firsthand uh, reporting from people who saw and witnessed and experienced God and, and lived to tell us about it. And uh, this morning from this passage, I want you to see that Scripture is, uh, it's also His voice. There's hundreds of places I, uh, we could have gone to, hundreds of places in the Bible where the Bible refers to itself as the words of God. Um, so, for example, uh, often, especially um, Jesus will do this, other people will do this, when they're referring to a written document that, like, David wrote, for example, they'll, they'll set it up, they'll uh, disclose it by saying, uh, as God says, and then they go on and they quote this thing, and you think, okay, was that what God said or is that what David wrote? And the Bible's answer is Yes. Uh, those written words are the, the spoken words, the voice of God. So that's what we're going to talk about from this passage in John 10. Uh, to set it up, though, uh, I don't know if you've seen the TV show 
uh, Impractical Jokers. Um, Impractical Jokers is uh, amazing, if you haven't seen it. Well, it's kind of gone downhill, in my opinion, since one of the cast members left recently. But for s multiple seasons, it was incredible. I mean, this show would make me laugh so hard at times. We would have to pause it, and I would have to go and get an asthma inhaler to, to, to like help me recover because I would, I would break something internally laughing so hard. But the setup of the show, if you're not familiar, it's, a, it's like a hidden camera, uh, pranky kind of show. It stars these four friends, these four people that grew up together, lifelong friends. And the way that it works is one of them will go out into public, just go out into the wild with an earpiece in. And there's these, you know, cameramen that are hiding behind trees and they're, they're filming him do stuff. And the other three guys are off-site somewhere watching on screens what he's doing out in the public. And they have microphones and they're telling him through his earpiece to do things, do embarrassing things. And if he doesn't do them, then he loses that round and it's a competition and the loser gets punished in the end. But they'll do things where, well, they'll be like, they'll be in a grocery store, for example. And uh, they're, they're like, okay, you see that guy who's, you know, picking out tomatoes right now. I want you to walk up to him and give him an Eskimo kiss. You know, rub your, see if you can rub your nose on his nose. And so this is just, in real life, a person going up to a random stranger and, and seeing if they can get an Eskimo kiss. It's, it's amazing. One of, my fav one of my favorites, they were in Central Park, and there's a guy sitting on the bench. They say, hey, you see that guy sitting on the bench over there? I want you to go up to him and apologize. I want you to say, I am so sorry, but I was eating three pounds of pork while staring at you earlier. <laughs> it's just, it's so random. It's so, it's amazing. I like it apparently more than you do, but. <laughs> but it's so, it's, it's so funny. But what I love about the show, at least the, the premise of the show, is you have this voice coming in through their earpiece that's telling them to do something, and they have to decide, am I going to obey that voice? Am I going to privilege that voice? Or am I going to privilege my own voice, my own internal voice that says, that's too embarrassing, that's too risky, I will not do that? Which, which voice are they going to privilege? And if the Bible is God's voice, then you and I have to wrestle with that same question that they wrestle with on Impractical Jokers. Which voice are you going to privilege? Here comes God's voice. Are you going to privilege that? Are you going to privilege the, the, the assortment of other voices that you and I are being bombarded with constantly? Because we're constantly hearing all these voices, maybe voices from your parents, voices from your professors or your friends or uh, the culture at large, your own internal voice, your, your feelings, your own desires, your wounds, on and on and on, all these different voices. Which voice are you going to privilege and say, that's the one I'm going with? This morning, I want to try to encourage you and invite you to privilege the voice of God over and above everything else for three reasons. Reason number one, it's because it's authoritative. Reason number two is because it's life-giving. And reason three is because it's trustworthy. Let me unpack those three. That's what we'll talk about for our time here. The voice of God, it's authoritative, it's life-giving, it's trustworthy. First of all, it's authoritative. And you automatically hear that and you think, that doesn't sound like a good reason. <laughs> because when someone's described or anything is described as being authoritative, that's not usually a good thing. So why is that a good thing? Well, look at this passage. There, there, Jesus uses a, a few images in this whole passage, uh, but the one that I really want to camp on is this image where he describes himself as uh, a shepherd, 
and, uh, and people are described as sheep. His people are described as sheep. So look at verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. You see it again in verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. So he's the shepherd, and we're the sheep. That is the fundamental relationship that humanity has with God. He is the master. He's the one in charge, and we are not. He's the creator, and we're the creature. This is not a, this is, he's, not, he's not among equals. This is not a peer. This is a, um, there's a power dynamic there. And so keep going. Look at verse 3. This is talking about the shepherd. Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So you see that voice of authority. The shepherd speaks and calls, and the uh, sheep listen and respond. Look at verse 4. He says something similar. He says, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Okay, why do they follow him? for they know his voice. So what you begin to see is that um, Jesus is describing the voice of the shepherd as being something outside of us and above us. That's what I mean by it's authoritative. It's outside of us. It's not our voice. And it's above us, meaning it has power over us. Now, when you and I immediately hear that, we bristle. Because modern people, especially modern Americans, we don't like either one of those. We don't want a voice outside of us or above us. We don't like voices outside. We, we only trust our own voice. We, you know, our, our cultural's motto is follow your heart. In fact, I was thinking about this this morning, um, uh, the, the scene from Moana. Remember early in Moana when the grandmother is singing to Moana and she says to her, you are your father's daughter, stubbornness and pride. Mind what he says, but remember, you may hear a voice inside. And if the voice starts to whisper to follow the farthest star, Moana, the voice inside is who you are. But that's it. We, that, that, that is the message, that voice, that inner voice. That's, that's you. That's the voice you must listen to above your father, above everybody else. We don't like voices outside of us. We trust our voice, and we don't like voices above us, meaning we don't like top-down authority. Nobody likes to be told what to do, especially, you know, modern Americans. We have eliminated the idea of capital T, truth, and we've said truth is whatever is true for you. You get to decide. We don't like voices outside of us or above us, and yet I think when you stop and you think about it, you all realize deep down we desperately need a voice outside of us and a voice above us. Think about this example. Think about nutrition. The world of nutrition is crazy-making to me. (laughs) When I was growing up in the 90s, we were told fat is bad. You can't have anything with fat. So everything was fat-free, low-fat. Remember snack wells, cookies? Fat-free. You could eat a whole carton of Snackwell's cookies and not gain weight because it was fat-free. And now we're learning, oh, wait, wait, opposite. That's good. That's a good thing. In fact, if you've ever seen the show uh, Alone, the show Alone, Survivalists, you can see how obsessed they are with, with fat as, 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 as something necessary for their survival. Uh, another example, um, we were told um, carbs are bad. Carbs are bad news. No carbs, no bread, no rice, no Doritos. 
And now we're learning, or at least I, I, you know, we all went on Atkins diet, and now they're telling us, um, you know, a low carb, a low carb diet is actually harmful. It's dangerous. You need carbs. I grew up being told that um, fruits were healthy. You should eat fruits and vegetables. I've heard recently people are saying no to fruits, too much sugar. In fact, I saw an Instagram reel this morning that said almond milk and kale smoothies, bad. It's got stuff in it that's going to wreck you, going to destroy you. Um, You've got some schools of thought that say you, we should all be on a vegan diet. The body was not made to process you know, a- animal products. Your body can't handle meat, especially red meat. And you've got other schools of thought that say uh, you should be on a carnivore diet, the exact opposite. Your body was not made to process plants. You, you only should be eating meat. And so you, you, you know, you've got Whole30 and South Beach diet and Atkins and keto and paleo and intermittent fasting. And you're all just like, which one's right? Which, what is happening? What is the right one? Who's the expert? What do we do? You know what we're doing? We are craving not just Doritos, but we're craving authority. We're craving a voice outside of us and above us that says, this is how bodies were designed. This is how it was really going to make you thrive and make you be healthy. We need a voice outside of us that tells us about reality. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is saying it's God's voice telling us about reality, telling us about who he is like and how we relate to him and how human beings were designed to really function and really flourish and really thrive. It's, it's authoritative. But of course, when you hear that word authoritative, the connotations that you and I have with it is that it's bad. Authority is bad. Abusive power. We have a million examples to confirm this, but I want you to see that the authority of God, even though he has ultimate authority, he does not use that authority like a, um, like a mean boss on a power trip, just wants you to be miserable and crush you and put you on your place. He has authority, but he uses that authority to serve you because his voice is not just authoritative, it's also life-giving. That's the second reason I want to show you why you should prioritize it and listen to it because it's life-giving. Look at, um, look at verse 8. Jesus says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. He's saying there are these other voices that are trying to get the sheep to listen to them. They're promising freedom and life. Listen to me. But Jesus says they're, they're robbers. They're thieves. Look at verse 10. He says, um, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so what you hear is you hear these, this, there's a juxtaposition between two different voices. There are some voices that come in, and they sound so enticing, and they sound so good, and they sound like they're promising freedom. Voices that say things like, don't let anyone tell you what to do, or do whatever you can to get ahead, of li- ahead in life, or you should embrace uh, every part of who you are. You should do whatever makes you happy, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. And you hear all of these voices, and they sound like, yes, that sounds good. That sounds like that is my ticket to freedom and to joy and to life. And yet, if you live your life on the basis of those voices, that it, it will rob you. It will rob you of joy. It will rob you of freedom. It will wreck you. They're thieves. And yet, then you hear this other voice, the voice of the Bible, come in, and it, initially it sounds terrible. 
it sounds very threatening because the Bible says things like this. You should only have sex in the context of biblical marriage. And you hear that and you think, ah, that does not sound interesting to me. Um, I mean, this is no longer the 50s. So, like, it's ridiculous. Going to write that one off. The Bible comes in and says things like, care for the poor. We say, okay, I like that idea. I like the idea of that. I don't want to do it. I mean, that's uncomfortable. That takes time. I don't have a lot of time. That's going to cut into my me time. That's going to cut into, like, my hunting. That's going to cut into my, you know, football watching. That's going to cut into, like, my hanging out with my friends and my scrolling on my phone. I, I'll pass. The Bible says things like, um, pick up your cross and follow me. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. It says, pray continually. And you hear all of that, and we say, nope, not interested in any of that. That does not sound fun. That does not sound life-giving. That sounds terrible. That sounds like a death sentence. Why in the world would I want to do all of that? And yet, if you privilege the voice of the shepherd... That actually leads you into joy. That leads you into life. That leads you into flourishing. I mean, look at verse 10. I'll read it again. Verse 10 again. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus doesn't want you to be miserable. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to flourish. I've used this example before, but it's too um, relevant to not use again, so bear with me. But if you've heard this before. Uh, But if you decide to read the owner's manual of your car, you know, the document that's in your glove box that you've never read before. If you pull it out and actually read it, and you get to the point where it says, you should only put gasoline in this car, you can read that and say, only gasoline? That is so restrictive. That is oppressive. Who are they to tell me what to do with what belongs to me? It is my car. I can do whatever I want with it. And I would rather put in pancake syrup because it's a lot cheaper, smells way better, and you get to drink some while you're you know, putting it in there. You can do that. You are free to do that, and you'll destroy your car. If you want the car to flourish, if you want the car to thrive, then you have to privilege the voice of the designer over against even your own desires. And if you want your life to thrive and to flourish, you have to privilege the voice of your designer even over the voice, your, your internal voice. Uh, let, let, let me play it out with an example. Let's say that um, somebody, somebody hurts your feelings, wounds you, does something, says something that really hurts you, and you are so angered and so triggered, and, and you say, how, I cannot believe that they would do this to me. How dare, how dare them for doing this to me? I, I can't, I, it's, you're so painful, so hurt. And um, there's a voice that comes in that says, you know what you should do? resent them. Uh, You should cancel them. You should take your rage to the internet. You should uh, gossip about them. And you hear that voice, and it sounds like, yeah, that sounds right. That feels good. That sounds That feels what is the most natural of what I want to do. And, of course, you and I both know that's a, it's a liar. It's a thief. 
That if you listen to that voice, I mean, this is why, this is one of the reasons why marriages fall apart. This is one of the reasons why uh, there's estranged family members. This is one of the reasons why you have these centuries of generational just cycles of violence in different parts of the country, even in our own city. You hurt me, I'm hurt. So I'm going to respond by hurting you. And now you're hurt, and you're going to respond by hurting me. And round and round we go, and you look out the world, and it's like, okay, this is not life. This is not flourishing and thriving. This is a disaster. So what do we do? What breaks the cycle? Well, into this conversation comes God's voice, and he says things like this. Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless or here's one, Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now, that sounds like a terrible idea. That sounds like death. And yet we know intuitively it's the only way forward. Anne Lamott, who's a um, Christian writer, author, theologian of sorts, uh, she very famously has this quote uh, where she says, quote, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. You see what she's saying? She's saying when, when you refuse to forgive, you, you, you resent, you cancel, you're just ingesting poison, hoping it's harming the other person. But what it's doing is it's harming you. And you're the one that's deteriorating. You're the one that's becoming dehumanized because you cannot thrive and flourish as a human being if you're just feeding pride and anger and hatred and resentment. Doesn't, it doesn't work together. So maybe God knows what he's talking about. Maybe the voice of God is actually worth listening to. Maybe, even though it sounds so counterintuitive, it cuts against the grain of all of our natural instincts, maybe it actually leads to our flourishing, leads to thriving. It might actually lead to the healing of the world. But here's the final and here's the big question. How can you trust it, though, if it's that counterintuitive, if initially it feels that crazy? How can you trust it? How can you trust that his voice will actually lead to life? Last thing. His voice isn't just authoritative. It's not just life-giving. It's trustworthy. Jesus says, here's the reason why you can trust me. It's not just because I said I'm committed to your well-being. I'm not, just, I'm not just saying I'm committed to giving you life. I am demonstrating it. How did he demonstrate it? He lays down his life for us. In case you missed it, he says this no less than five times in this passage. Look at verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Look at verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17. The father loves me because I lay down my life. Verse 18. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. Same verse 18, I have authority to lay it down. You think Jesus wants us to know this? I lay down my life. I lay down my life. Oh, by the way, I'm laying down my life. In case you missed it, I'm laying down my life. What does he want us to know? He wants us to know that when God looks at the world, here's all of humanity. We're all jugging, you know, guzzling uh, rat poison. 
We're all resentful, hatred, war, hating each other, families destroyed. We, um, we're pouring pancakes for up in the, the engine of our life. We're, just, we're looking at God and saying, we don't care what you say. We want to do things our way. Forget you. We're going to do, do life on our terms. And the world's a dumpster fire. And our lives are a dumpster fire. And God looks at this world, and instead of just throwing up his hands and saying, okay, I'm out. I quit with you all. Or instead of just wiping everybody off the face of the planet, he doesn't do either. You know what he does? He moves towards us and lays down his life for us. He voluntarily decides to take on the pain and the suffering and the burden and the brutality and the brokenness and the penalty that all of our rebellion deserves. You know what that means? That means he looks at people, the, people, the very people, you and I, who should have loved him, and yet we rebelled against him, and he says, I'm going to lay down my life for them anyway. I'm going to give up everything for them. When you see that, when you know what he was willing to do for you, you know what that does? That, that gives you reason to trust him. You begin to think, okay, maybe he doesn't want me to be miserable. Maybe he isn't wanting me to miss out on the fun of life. Maybe he actually cares about me and wants me to thrive in this world. The cross, his suffering, his willingness to lay down his life, that's how you know that you can trust him, that he's actually committed to your well-being. A number of years ago, I was at this training conference, and there was this um, fairly well-known pastor at the time that stood up, and he was teaching a bunch of other pastors, and he told this story I'll never forget. It was this really heartbreaking story about his daughter. His daughter had, for years, been wrestling with an eating disorder, and um, it was, you know, it broke their family's uh, uh, hearts, and it was just literally killing her. She, she deep down believed, uh, I am ugly and disgusting, and something is wrong with me. And her family and her friends, everybody that knew her thought the exact opposite. She's so lovely and so kind and so beautiful and so sensitive and, and just a, an amazing, wonderful person. I don't understand why she would have such a distorted view of herself. And this went on for years, and they tried all this different stuff, and nothing seemed to really work or help. And uh, there was one day uh, this pastor was sharing that the, the, the mom and the daughter were in the kitchen, like kitchen table one morning. And I guess the mom was just kind of at the end of her robe with trying to help her daughter. And so she, she looks to her daughter and says, you really think you're ugly, don't you? You think something's wrong with you, don't you? And the daughter says, I, I know that I'm ugly. I know that something's wrong with me. And the mom said, okay, well, because I think differently, let's just say that Jesus showed up right now. He joined us, and he sat down at the table, and we looked at Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, um, we've been having this debate for years. I think this about her. She thinks this about her. Will you help settle the debate for us? Which one of us is right? Which one do you think is right? I, I think that um, she's lovely and wonderful just the way that she is. She thinks that she's ugly, she's defective, something's wrong with her. Which one of us is right? And then the mom looks at the daughter and says, what do you think Jesus would say? He's right here, and he could help settle this debate for us. The daughter concedes and says, well, I think he would say that uh, I'm lovely just the way that I am. And the mom says, okay, well, you see what you're doing. 
you are saying what I say about myself is ultimate truth, and that means, Jesus, what you say about me means you are either wrong or you're a liar. Now, that, that's, those are strong words. But you see what the mom's doing? Deep down what the mom is doing is saying, you're privileging your voice over his. And I want to invite you to trust his voice over yours, to actually begin to believe what he says about you, overriding what you say about you. Because what he says about you is truth. Which voice are you going to privilege? And that's the question that you and I have to answer as well. Which voice are you going to privilege? Your voice of how you see you, how you see God, how you see the world, or his voice? Because this, this, this plays out in lots of different ways. I'll give you a few examples. Most of us, I'd say all of us, carry around a sense of inexplicable guilt. You know what I'm saying? This feeling of like this, this sense that we're defiled, this sense of just like yuck, this... Um, the sense of, like, I'm unclean, and that's for different reasons. Some of us, uh, that's, that's attached to certain behaviors or certain memories. Some of us, it's just kind of a vague sense. I just feel vaguely unclean. And yet, listen, um, listen to his voice. Um, for those of you in Christ, his voice says, you have been washed. That's 1 Corinthians 6.11. He says, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. Which voice is louder for you? Which voice will you privilege? You know, if you've experienced real suffering, real trauma, real pain, especially if you've gone through long stretches of difficulty, it's really easy to begin to wonder if God's even there. If God is with you, does God even care at all? Is, is, you begin to wonder, okay, God, you're either um, not there or uh, you don't care. That's a voice that can sound very loud inside of our ears. And then his voice comes in and says, he will never leave you or forsake you. That's Hebrews 13.5. Or he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's Matthew 28, 20. So which voice is louder? Which voice will you privilege and prioritize? I'll give you one more. Um, sometimes it's easy to get real existential. And when you get existential, you start thinking about your life and your story and the, the amount of years that you had on this earth. And, and, and you start to kind of zoom out of your life, almost like Google Maps, like Google Earth. You see your little life, and then you see your street and your neighborhood, and you go further, and you see, oh, there's Memphis, and then, oh, there's the United States, and, oh, there's the globe, and you go further and further out. And the world that once seemed so big starts to get smaller and smaller as you go out further and further and further and further, and you begin to realize, oh, my goodness, my whole life, my whole existence is just like a speck of dust on a little tiny marble that's just spinning in this infinite black void, and you begin to wonder, do I matter? Does my life matter? Is my whole existence, it's just a blink of an eye in the span of human history. Does anything I do actually matter? And then his voice comes in and he says, he knows the number of hairs on your head. That's Luke 12, 7. It says, I don't just know your name, but your name is written on my hands. It's Isaiah 49, 16. That's how much you and I matter to him. Which voice will you prioritize? 
final thought. I love how this passage ends um, because as after Jesus finishes talking, everybody in the crowd starts debating and they're all divided on what to make of his words. Do you notice that? Look at verse 20. It says, many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And that's the question. Why listen to him? Because sometimes he sounds bonkers. Why listen to him? And then look at verse 21. It says, others said, well, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And they're saying, wait a second. Look, he's giving life to people. He's opening the eyes of blind people. That doesn't sound like the behavior of somebody who's crazy. Should we listen to him? And the passage just ends. <laughs> the debate doesn't get settled. It just goes on to something else. And you're wondering, okay, well, which one is it? Is, is he crazy and should we just ignore him? Or are, does he have the words of life? Should we write off Jesus as just kind of the ramblings of a lunatic? Or should we prioritize his voice over every other voice that we've ever heard, including our own? That's the question. Why listen to him? Well, I'll leave you with that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would convince us that your voice and your words are worth listening to. Uh, we're honest. Uh, if we're being honest, um, they're hard. You say some hard things. There are things that we encounter in the Bible that are difficult. They are hard to swallow. They are hard to get around. We do not know what to do with. They're confusing. They're offensive. And so, Father, I pray that um, for all of us, you would help overthrow our doubt, overthrow our suspicion, overthrow our uh, unease with your words, and help them to not just be Help us have confidence in them, but help us to trust that they're truly the words of life itself. Only you can do that inside of us. Only you can unclog our ears and soften our hearts and open up our eyes. So would you be so gracious to do that, that we might hear your words and live. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.